Okay? I'm glad you're here. Um, we're starting a new book of the Torah, uh, uh, Sefer Vayikra, also translated as uh, Leviticus, and um, we're also starting a new year. Uh, we're in the month of Nisan, and so these two things are coming together in a, in a very beautiful way, two, two new starts as we enter into a new season as well, um, springtime which is just uh, rebirth. So, so everything, is, um, everything is starting anew, and it's, it's important to just kind of put these concepts together and uh, try to make some sense out of them. In general, in general it's, uh, it's really important to, uh, to know the basics. The fundamentals are, are really where it's at, because in the fundamentals, you have all the premises for everything. And um, for instance, imagine you're like traveling underground in, in like you're trying to navigate the, 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 the subway system of a, of a city or something like that. And, and, you know, if you've ever been in a big city subway system, you know there are all different kinds of lines and all different kinds of trains going in, in, in every part of the, the city. But can you imagine that you're, 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 you're there and you're trying to figure out exactly how to get to a very specific address in a very sort of remote place, right? And you become specialized, but you have no concept of what city you are in in the world, right? It's like a little bit strange. You're like an expert and, and completely in the dark simultaneously. So unfortunately, um, religion breeds this type of mentality where people become total experts and at the same time simultaneously have no idea what they're talking about. And they are, in fact, legitimate experts. So that's, that's, the, that's the problem. They actually know what they're talking about as they have no idea what they're talking about. Now, how, how does that happen? Because they've lost touch with the premise, with the initial, with the initial foundations of, of what is going on. In other words, that God is good, that this world is good, that God is leading you wherever you're going toward a good place and toward a place of fixing. This, these are the premises. And that God is a partner in your success and that God's success is contingent on your success. So, so that you both are partners in the exact same thing, as opposed to what I think most people, and I'll throw myself in, in, in there, uh, uh, you know, from time to time, when I kind of lose sight of things, you think that you want something and maybe God's going to give it to you, maybe God is not going to, get, going to give it to you. And then there's this sort of imagined adversarial relationship, which is... It's, it's actually, it's false. It's just false. There's only, you're only partners with God because it's God's world. God is running the world. You are a magnificent shaliach, messenger, in terms of uh, uh, being a tool, in terms of him crafting the world toward its perfection. And God wants perfection. You want perfection. You're partners in achieving that perfection. And that's how we have to relate to God. We, just God, my, my success is your success. I want what you want. Please, God, allow me to 
to be the realization of what it is that you want in this world, because this is what I want too. And if you give me X, Y, or Z, if it's your will, if it's what's best for me, I will be able to use those things in order to increase your light and increase the revelation of your oneness in this world. Now all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's a different attitude, different attitude. I'll tell you something, I was about to go into a meeting or something like this, and this was just the other day, and I was afraid. And I was thinking, oh man, why am I afraid, you know? And, and I was trying to kind of cycle through different thoughts, trying to get myself in the proper frame of mind. And it was only when I hit on this particular thought that I'm going to tell you, that I was like, ah, okay, I'm okay. And it's an extension of what I've been saying up until now. Rabbi Nachman says that wherever a Jew walks, he's walking toward Israel. Even if he's walking in the opposite direction, he's still walking toward Israel. So I thought to myself, you know, I want to walk in this direction, but maybe it won't work out. And then I realized, won't work out means that I'm walking in the opposite direction. But if I'm walking in the opposite direction, I'm still walking toward Israel. And God is still leading me. So if God is still leading me toward Israel, meaning toward redemption, toward the good, then what do I have to be afraid of? Because even if it's going in the opposite direction, that's still God leading me toward Israel. So, so I felt like so relieved. It's like, okay, I have to try to make this work out, but if it doesn't work out, it's still worked out. Just, it's just a different, different plan that's working out, but that's the best plan right now. So, so with these things in mind, you know, just to return to the, uh, this idea of the, the person who's an expert in, in, in navigating the city, but he doesn't even know what city he's in, you know? I'll tell you a story. Uh, I heard that Reb Shlomo Karlbach was once giving a talk, and um, he was talking about a lot of um, sort of, I guess, Kabbalistic ideas. Um, you know, really... I'm sure it was all in the category of a Hasidus, really, but, you know, anyway, the, using some Kabbalistic terminology, and there was someone there who, I guess, had studied some Kabbalah and, and asked him, where are all your charts? Right? Because a lot of times, you know, when you go to these, like, sort of Kabbalah places, they've got, like, lots of charts, you know? So Rip Shlomo said, you know something? If you, let's say you're in France and you have a tour guide, the, the tour guide who's taking you around France doesn't have any maps, right? Because the tour guide lives in France. <laughs> you know, if you live there, you don't need any charts, you don't le- need any maps. <laughs> so, so the idea is, you know, you, if you're, like I say, if you're looking at all these charts and maps and you're trying to navigate yourself and you don't even know what city you're in, then there's a, there, there's a problem. There's a problem. So, so the, the irony is that sometimes the, the simplest, the person who has, like Rebbe Nachman says, um, uh, just simple faith will often be the deepest because what they have in front of their eyes at all time are the foundations and, 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 and the premise of all of reality. God is one, God is good, God is with me. 
What more do I need to know? I don't really need to know anything more than that. And, and so the, the challenge is, is that while you learn more, because we have the mitzvah to learn, we have the commandment to learn, that we have to fill our, our brains with, with, with as much information as we can, but simultaneously not to let that level of knowledge distract us from the foundations and the premises and the, and, and the simple truth, where we have to live. That's where we have to be living. In, in that space. And then, so, but that, that really involves some mastery. And I'll tell you just as a practical hint, piece of advice, one of the moments where you can ground yourself back into simplicity amidst your learning and things like that is during davening when you say Shema Yisrael. Because that moment when you say Shema Yisrael, there's many kavanas, many things that you can have in mind. But one thing that I would suggest is that when you cover your eyes and you say, Shema Yisrael, you close your eyes, you have in mind that all that exists is God, that that's the only thing that exists, that nothing else exists, you know? And if you want to, as an exercise, run through the different issues in your life or the different people in your life or the different whatever challenges in your life and just say, well, you know what? That doesn't exist, and that doesn't exist, and that doesn't exist, and that doesn't exist. And you can sort of like, you could take away all the power that you've maybe mistakenly endowed them with. And then just, it's just God. And then ultimately, I don't even exist on the deepest level. You just disappear within God, you know? So this is a a way of staying focused. But at the same time, we have to say it, you know, to be responsible. At the same time, so then what God does is he then gives you all of these, the same things that you just rattled through and then just nullified, basically, obliterated within the oneness of God. However, however, this is equally true, that God has put those things in your life from God intentionally for you to be able to interface with him through those people, and through those challenges, and through those situations. So, again, this is, the, this is the duality. This is both sides being true simultaneously. That's the Jewish path. Where, on the one hand, you have to be incredibly respectful of every single person in every single situation. On the other hand, you also have to realize that on some level, all that exists is God. And it's, it's, it's in your ability to master these two, they're really complementary thoughts, but they can appear in your mind as contradictory thoughts, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't, because, because these opportunities and these people are just emanations of godliness, basically. But you have to be very responsible to them. Like, for instance, I once heard a story about someone who crashed into a parked car and who continued driving on. And they sort of like, you know, very cavalierly said, um, you know, that's just uh, materialism. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my friend, you just broke the law and caused someone else property damage. You, so this is, this is the ultimate, well, that's not the ultimate, but this is a a a very wonderful example of misapplied spirituality. This is not not Torah. 
to be able to, you know, you know, you know, you know, like, can you imagine, like, you just push someone aside, you just, like, elbow them in the ribs because they're in your way, and you say, ah, what is the flesh? (laughs) Really, you know. What? You know? This is, so... So, but people do this. People do this. So you have, to, you have to be very careful that you're not doing this, that you're not misunderstanding this teaching. It's the opposite. It's, it's, it's as you are honoring another person and as you are being respectful of another situation and opportunity, simultaneously you're also understanding that the, ulti- the only reality really is God. So, so it's really, that's, that's, that's the balance. That's the balance, okay? And, and there are two traits that you have to um, be able to be constantly gauging and um, fine-tuning in order to be able to successfully do this, okay? This is a daily process, you know? One is yira and the other is ava. One is love and one is awe. Okay, and they call this the two wings of the dove because a bird needs two wings to, to fly with. If you want to soar and if you want to be balanced, you have to have both of these aspects. So, so I'm going to show you how they both apply. Okay? So on the one hand, you, you have to look at another person, right? and you have to have yira, meaning to say you have to have awe, God created this person. God created this person in my life. This is someone who I have to be respectful of. This is another emanation of godliness. It's like, wow, you know? And so you have to treat them with respect. On the other hand, you look at the whole world with, with Ava, just that it's all subsumed within God's love so that it doesn't even really exist at all, right? Or the other way of doing it, and you have to do both simultaneously, is that you're looking at each other person as an expression of God's love, right? And you're just like, wow, wow, God, God, because it says, it says in Pirkei Avos, you have to love God's creations. So here it is, like, here's another opportunity, here's a, another person, another emanation of God's love, right? And you stand before the, the oneness of God with, with ultimate yira, like awe, like that he is the master of this amazing ecosystem that he's constructed, right? So in, in this way, you're, you're, you're reacting to each person with a combination of yira and ava, with love and awe, while simultaneously relating to God with love and awe, where it's all godliness or it's very much real, you know? We talked about this in a different level last week. Is this, we called the talk, if you want to hear it, is this world real or an illusion? And, um, and, and simultaneously, simultaneously, they're both true. As, as Reb Shlomo said, this world is real in God's dream, right? And we, I, I told you that I heard from Rabbi Beryl Wine that, that there's a, 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 a debate on the words ein od in Aleinu, that there's nothing other than God, ein od, between the Ari and the Vilnagon. The Ari saying, no, ultimately it's just all godliness, and the Vilnagon saying, no, this world is very real. So we see how both, both are, are the case. But again, again, these are, this is very important because, because as we, again, 
enter this month of Nisan, which is the first month of the year, and the newness that comes with it, because it's springtime and it's, it's birth, you know, it's, it's, it's simultaneously birth and rebirth. Rebirth suggests that it's, it was there before, and now it's coming back into being. And so in, on, on one level, Bederach Teva, as we say, uh, you know, in terms of the natural realm, that's true. There was a tree, and the tree looked like it was dead, and now all of a sudden it's blossoming again. So that's the concept of rebirth. But there's also the concept of birth itself, which is that God is bringing the world into existence out of nothingness every single moment. So that's genuine birth. That's not rebirth. That's birth. So there is genuine newness and genuine light that's, that's, that's fresh and real and new coming into the world. But also, again, we're, 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 we're operating on a number of different planes where there's also the context of rebirth, of continuity, but, but, the, but the newness is a genuine newness. So, so let's go further. I want to tell you something uh, kind of came to me. So, you know, there's, a, uh, there's an opinion. Uh, I think we even say it in the Haggadah, which is that maybe we should say, maybe we should recount the story of leaving Egypt, meaning to say maybe we should read the Haggadah on the first day of Nisan, right? Why do we say it, uh, why do we wait until the 14th, the 15th, right? Pesach, the night of the 15th, that's Pesach. At the Passover Seder, why do we say it there? Maybe we should say it as soon as Nisan comes in, because that's the month where we were redeemed. So, so I want to, I want to maybe go into that idea a little bit more, and suggest the following: What would the logic be, or what would be a support for saying it on the first day of Nisan? Talking about leaving Egypt. So, so there's an opinion in the Gomorrah that the world was actually created, that human beings were actually created on the first day of Nisan. And so in this way, or, or, or maybe it's Tishrei. So we, we say in the end, we celebrate the creation of the world in Tishrei. That's when Rosh Hashanah is. But right next to that opinion, right in the Gomorrah, you have a very, very, very strong opinion that maybe it's the first day of Nisan. So that's, that's a very real thing. So you always have to kind of go back to that and kind of view the world through that lens and see how things are different or whatever, because that's a very legitimate idea as well from the Torah perspective. So, so the first day of Nisan then would be when Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, human beings were created, and that's the, that's the beginning of creation, the beginning of the world, the beginning of time. And the beginning of our redemption from Egypt. It's also the the day where we got our first mitzvah, which was to make a calendar. God told us to make a calendar, and that's the first month of the year. So the very beginning of the Torah, the very beginning of the Torah. Rashi asks the question on the word breishis, which, by the way, is breishis, I heard in the name of the Vilna Gon, is, is when God creates time. 
Remember, it says, with beginnings, or in the beginning, or however you want to translate it. So, Breshis marks the actual creation of time itself. And that's, that's just very deep, and you should take a great pride in knowing that, that we Jews have known that time is a creation. It just hasn't always been there. It's not just some ethereal, abstract entity that has always been around. Time is an actual, has a physicality to it. It, it, it has a materiality to it. It was created. And this is something that physicists have discovered fairly recently but something that we've known just through Torah study, which is really cool, actually, you know? So time itself is a creation. But on that, on that word, on the beginning of the creation of time, Rashi brings the question from his father, maybe we should have begun the Torah with the very first mitzvah that the Jewish people got as a nation, which was to create a calendar. Now, to create a calendar means to master time. So in other words, both discussions of how the Torah should begin are revolving around the creation of time. It's either Breshis, the way it does begin, where God himself creates time, or the what we say, the Havamina, the, the other thought, which seems to be very strong and legitimate, is that it should have started with the first mitzvah, that the Jewish people were given as a nation, which is to sanctify time, and, and implied in that to master time. Right? This, so, so you see that basically, whichever word you start with, whether you're starting with the creation of the calendar, or, create, or starting with the word breishis, you're beginning with the same idea. So that, that in itself is very interesting. Okay? Now, now, what I want to tell you is this. Again, let's just go back to our question. In the Haggadah, we ask the question, maybe we should be reading about leaving Egypt on the first day of Nisan. Okay? So what did we just say? That we just said that now Nisan is, is the first, is the, is the fruit, if you will, of our first mitzvah. In other words, God said, make a calendar, and the first thing that comes out of this calendar is this construct called Chodesh Nisan, the month of Nisan. Okay, there's going to be a calendar with 12 months. But that's the first fruit of the command. Now, interestingly, the word breishis says, can be broken down. Rashi brings it right on the, 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 first, the first word. Bereishis, reishis referring to the first fruit that we have to bring to the Mishkan. So, so again, another parallel between Breshis and making a calendar, Nisan, which is the first fruit of the calendar, and Breshis, which is referring to the first fruits, Breshis, with the first ones, the first fruits that we're supposed to bring to the Mishkan. And the Mishkan was dedicated on the first day of Nisan. Okay? So you have all these... Overlaps, and on the on the first day of Nisan, the Mishkan was completed, which is a miniature of the perfected universe and of the human being. Which, according to this version, the first human being was created on the first day of Nisan. So we have lots and lots of overlaps here, but I'm I'm, I'm driving toward one point still. 
I just want to show you a level where the word breishis is connected to to um, to reading to the, where the beginning of the Torah is connected to the first day of Nisan, where there's an opinion that we should be reading the Haggadah about leaving Egypt. Okay, so I want to show you how in the word breishis, how you see a microcosm, a miniature, right, in that one word of the entire history of the world. Okay, this is something that I noticed, and um, and also of leaving Egypt, that you see it in, in the word breishis anyway. Okay, so breishis can be, I want to take that word, and I'm using every letter of breishis, and I want to divide it up into three parts, okay? So the very first part is going to be the letter Aleph. Breishis has the letter Aleph, so that will be part one. Part two are the letters Reish and Yud, okay? Breishis also contains those letters, so Part one is the letter Aleph, part two is the letters Reish and Yud, and part three is the letters Shin, Beis, Taf, which spells Shabbat. <laughs> okay? So here you're going to see in the word Breshis, you're going to see basically the Haggadah and the whole history of the world. So Breshis, the first letter of the, the first word of the Torah, contains a microcosm of the entire history of the world. How so? The letter Aleph, which is one. It says, Yom Echad, before the world was created, all that existed was the oneness of God. Right? So this is before the world was even created, you have the letter Aleph. That stands for God. Right? Because Aleph is one. Just the oneness of God. Then you have Resh and Yud. Reish and Yud is Gematria 210. That's the number of years that we were slaves in Egypt. Right? As soon as you, as God created the world with this illusion of separation, we have the concept of exile. And we know that the servitude in Mitzrayim in Egypt is the model for all exile. Right? So it goes from the oneness of God, the letter Aleph, to Reish and Yud, which is 210, which is the servitude of Mitzrayim, to the word Shabbat, which is the perfection of the world, is Mashiach. So contained within the word Breshis, you have the entire roadmap from before the world was created, through the creation and all of human history and civilization, to Mashiach and the perfection of the universe. But very strikingly, you also have a reference to what? The servitude in Egypt that we leave. So, so on Chodesh Nisan, which is the creation of the world, it says maybe we should be reading the Haggadah. Well, that's Breshis. You are reading the Haggadah. Because if the world was created on the first day of Breshis, that's the creation of time, which is Breshis, which includes the Haggadah. You've got the 210 years referenced in our, our liberation from it. So it's all, it's all there, right? We just have to look. All right. I think at different years it, it comes at different times, but but it's always in springtime, and it's and it's it's by, yeah, right, right, very good, very good, yeah, the Aleph of Vayikra, yeah. So, all right. So now I want to go a little bit more into the Mishkan itself. So again, the Mishkan was built 
was dedicated, was finished on the first day of Nisan. Now, again, the first day of Nisan is, there's an opinion that that's when the world was created. And it says that God rejoiced when he made the Mishkan, like he rejoiced when the world was created. So it was a miniature of the perfected universe. Okay? Not of the broken universe, of the perfected universe. Not only that, but it's also a microcosm of a human being. So simultaneously, the Mishkan represents the world, and it also represents the individual. Okay? Now I want to show you how that's really kind of like there's a big overlap between those two thoughts. It's not just, well, one opinion is it's the world, and another opinion is it's the individual. No, no, no. It's much more than that. Okay? And one of my favorite parables, I just kind of came across it one day. I, I wish I could tell you the source. But um, anyway, it's just so simple and beautiful, um, and it really explains the Mishkan in a nice way, I think, or these two opinions in the, uh, about what the Mishkan was exactly. So I've shared it with you before. The idea is um, uh, a man comes home. He's very, very tired. He's had a long day of work, and uh, he's just exhausted, and his kid wants to play with him, and he just doesn't have any energy to play with his kid. But... You know, he figures, let me get a little more time and then I'll get some energy up and then I'll be able to play with my kid. So the, the kid really wants to play and so the father is reading this newspaper and he, he sees there's a very intricate map of the world and he says to his kid, ah, it's an idea. So he makes like a jigsaw puzzle out of it. He rips it into a lot of different pieces, lots and lots of little pieces and then he says to his child, you know what, if you can put together this map of the world, then... At, 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 right when you finish, then we'll play. And the father figures he's bought himself a bunch of time just to kind of rest up. And the little boy comes right back, and he says, I did it. And the father's like astounded how, you know, that's impossible. Like, how could you have done it? And he goes and he looks, and the, the, the kid did it, for real. And so, so the father says, how did you do it? And he says, well, it was really easy. On the other side, there was a picture of a person. And once I put the picture of the person together, the whole world fell into place. Right? So you see here that basically each person is, it says in the Talmud, if you save one person, it's like you save the whole world. Each person is like a miniature world. Okay? And so each person, if you're able to put yourself together, you're mamash putting the entire world together. That's the, that's the amazing aspects about what it means to actually deal with your struggles and to try to overcome challenges or at least to try to just stay functional. I mean, really, you know, staying functional is really underrated. <laughs> just to be able to start the day and get through the day is genuine heroism, you know, and people don't give enough credit to what it, like, made it through a day, you know? It's like, Wow. But you know, God knows, believe me, God knows what a triumph that is, honestly. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm really not being facetious at all right now. It's like, you know, this world is unbelievable and it's beautiful and, and everything like that, but it's, 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 it's tough at the same time. And there's a Pasuk, by the way, in Eov, also known as Job, the book of Job, and... Um, you know, you always have to brace yourself before you hear a verse quoted from the book of Job. <laughs> but, 
but it, it says man was created, man meaning human beings, man was created for toil. There it is, you know? So it's like, see, this is part of the great disconnect uh, of, of where we're living in, in, in especially contemporary Western society because it's like this, this round that we're in, and when I say this round, I mean these, these 80 to 120 years that we're in is a work session, you know? And the problem is, is that everything around us tells us that it's a play session, and, you know, it's like, and your flesh is really on board with the play session aspect of this. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, really? Yeah, that, that how drunk will that get? That sounds fantastic, you know? <laughs> and you're buying, you know? So, you know, actually, now that I think about it, you know what I never see, like, 10% off coupons for, like, tequila. You know what I mean? You never see, like, like coupons for liquor, you know? I wonder why. Um, but anyway, um, so, so, so it's a big disconnect because every billboard that I'm looking at is, this is a, a foreign locale where I can lie on the sand and this is, like, some liquor where I can get, like, completely drunk, and this is, like, you know, some other implement of pleasure, and it's like, and then I think, well, I've got all these other things to do, and then I think, well, either that's not right, or what's wrong with me that I can't get everything done and just indulge in in, in all these things, and... And so comes the book of Job <laughs> to, to remind us man is created for toil. That doesn't mean sadness, by the way. That doesn't mean sadness. That doesn't mean that this life is a, a bummer at all, at all. But it's like one of these premises that we were talking about in the beginning. It's like one of the premises that it's sort of like, well, you know something? You know, there's Shabbos and there's there's, there's time to catch my breath and I've got to schedule those things into my day and things like that just to stay sane. But I've also got to stay focused and I've got to get something done. You know, what am I working on right now? What, what are my goals right now? You know, let's stay focused on that. And, that's, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but, but it's easy to lose sight of. You know, it's really easy to lose sight of. And that's, that's the nature of this world. That's why it's so important to have Torah study and so important to have community, to be around people who, who are reminding each other of, of what's going on. You know, I, I haven't looked at it recently. I, I hope I'll quote it properly. But the, the famous Rabbi Nachman story um, about the tainted grain you know, look it up if you, if you want to hear it told correctly. I'm just going to try to remember it as best as I can right now. But the, 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 the Rebbe Nachman story goes like this, that there was um, a, a minister goes up to the king and says, you know something, the, the grain has become infected. And this was a real thing where it, 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 it actually could produce insanity, believe it or not, like um, some weird uh, chemical reaction that actually there's a footnote in the, in, the, in the Rabbi Kaplan, the Ari Kaplan translation, that said that it would induce states like similar to LSD, 
If you, that's actually in the, the Rabbi Kaplan uh, edition. Um, so this was a real thing that, that grain itself, wheat would become sometimes infected and there would be this weird chemical change within the wheat and, and it could produce like insanity basically. And so, so the, the minister and the king are trying to figure out like what are we going to do because this is, I mean grain is, that's it, that's the staple, that's what we got to eat. So they said like this, they, they had a debate with each other. They said, you know something? If we don't eat it, everyone else is going to eat it, first of all. Everyone's going to eat it. And if we don't eat it, then everyone's going to think we're insane. Right? Because we're the only ones who are going to be not thinking like them, even though everyone else is insane except us. You know, this is really getting into the human condition. By the way, this whole, this whole story that I'm telling you is one paragraph long. Just to tell you, like, the greatness of Rabbi Nachman for a moment. But anyway, so, 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 so they say, but, but if we do, so, so then we should eat it so that we can be on the same page as them. But if we do eat it, then we'll, be, we'll also be insane. So what are we going to do? So the king or the minister, I'm not sure which, figures out, he says, look, we're going to make a mark on each other's foreheads. And what we'll do is we'll eat the grain, so we'll be on the same page as them and we'll be able to relate to them. But we'll remember when we see the mark on each other's forehead that we ate the grain. So that way we'll know we're insane. So, and I think, by the way, I don't know, this is, I, I haven't seen this written, but I wonder if the mark on the forehead is referring to tefillin. And then, if so, what that means exactly. But, but maybe that's one of the levels of tefillin that we remind ourselves that this world is like nuts, basically, but I don't know. But anyway, the bottom line is, is that, you know, is that, is that we have, to, we, we, we have to put ourselves in an environment where we're reminding ourselves like what's real and what's true and, and, to, and to find good, good people to be around who can remind us of what's real. You know, this is, this is very, very essential. This is very, very essential because... Um, left to our own devices, you know, how can you not be brainwashed by the world? It's, you know, or even by your own body, basically. You know, it's, 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 it's almost impossible not to be. Um, but, but God, in his mercy, has given us this, this amazing Torah and these amazing mitzvahs that if we stay involved in them, then we, we're, we're able to simultaneously tap into every level of reality simultaneously. It's this, it's this great thing where we can appreciate the realness of this world and the realness of each other while simultaneously appreciating the nothingness of this world and the nothingness of each other and, and, treating, each, and treating each level simultaneously with its proper level of covet and respect. You know, what, what more could you ask for from a system? There, there, there's no more that you can ask for. That, that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate, you know? And that's what the Torah is. So, 
So I want to go more into the Mishkan again. So the, the Mishkan, again, is this, it represents simultaneously the perfected individual, because remember, the first day of Nisan is, according to this opinion in the Gomorrah, is when Adam and Chava, when, when human beings were created. So the Mishkan represents the perfected individual, but also this is when the world was, was, was finished being made, right? So this is also the perfected world, simultaneously, at the same time, all right? Now, I want to make a strong point, okay? I was thinking about this, and I think this is important, which is that, isn't it interesting that the Mishkan can be assembled and taken apart? You take it apart, you put it back together again. You take it apart, you put it back together again. And this is very deep, because every person... And again, this is now, I'm talking about a very advanced level right now. But every person has to have the ability to take themselves apart and put themselves back together again. And what I want to caution is, is, you know, they're, 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 it's, a, it's a known thing. There are many people who take apart things and they don't know how to put them back together, you know. And it's sort of like, don't take yourself apart unless you know how to put yourself back together, Okay. That's just, um, that's, that's the road to madness, basically, okay? So don't do that. But what is the secret to putting yourself back together, okay? And so you have to learn the art of how to talk to yourself and how to encourage yourself. And, you know, I, I was sharing with the Hebra uh, at, at Shalashudas and Shabbos, one of the one of my uh, favorite teachings from Reb Shlomo that I heard him say one time, how, how you put a child to sleep, okay? And you say, he said that you should say, I love you and I need you and Hashem loves you and Hashem needs you and you're beautiful. And, and you can, bless you, you can say this to yourself when you go to bed. I love you and I need you because believe me, you need, you need yourself. You need, you need to stay strong. You need to be able to function. You, you absolutely need yourself. And you have to love yourself. You are commanded to love yourself. So these are very true words if you say them. I love you and I need you is a very true thing to say to yourself. And Hashem loves you and Hashem needs you. That's absolutely true. Hashem never stops loving you. And Hashem, if he, does he need you? Well, he made you. He's the, it, you're his idea. <laughs> right? You're here because of him. So yeah, I guess he needs you because why else would he have made you? So, so we're all here to, to be a vehicle and to accomplish something and to reveal an aspect of his oneness. And this is what I was talking about before, the idea of saying... God, we're partners. You made me. I want what you want. Use me, please, God, to participate in, the, in, in, in your success. Let me do X, Y, and Z in order, you know, it, that please protect me from things that will ultimately be harmful for me. But, but this is how I want to do it. Please, God, for you to, to, to be able to be, we're partners in this. And you're beautiful, Right? We're, we're all beautiful. 
So, so I want to tell you something also that uh, my wife learned in a parenting class that a, a beautiful uh, way to raise your children is try to think of all the qualities you would like your child to have. Like the, the child, your child should be, say, thoughtful and sensitive and caring. And you can come up with many more uh, adjectives. And write it down and put on your refrigerator or something like this. And then use those words with your child. When he does something or she does something thoughtful, say, that was so thoughtful. Or they do something caring. That was so caring. And let them live with those words and positively reinforce those actions with those words. And then you'll be sculpting and you'll be shaping their consciousness and positively enforcing the best aspects of their personality. And I want to extend that thought in the way that we just did with the Reb Shlomo teaching. Do it with yourself as well. Again, this is... This is all under the category of, you know, taking yourself apart. But how do you put yourself back together? Or how do you keep yourself? Forget about taking yourself apart. How do you keep yourself from falling apart? Right? How do you keep yourself together? And if you do something nice, say to yourself, you know, that, that was so thoughtful. Or that was really caring. Positively reinforce yourself and your own actions. That's very, very important. And that's not um, uh, arrogance. And that's not being um, conceited. Right? I'm, I'm, talking about, um, I'm talking about really pokuach nefesh right now, actually. Which means, um, that's, that's, uh, that means saving a life. I'm talking about saving your own life. Is, is, is what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not saying, talking about patting yourself on the back and saying, I'm so great. This is a completely, in case you're misunderstanding me, this is a completely different dimension that I'm referring to. I'm talking about survival right now. And, and you need to be able to say these things to yourself on a regular basis. You need to. You need to. Um... I, uh, I want to go further into this thought. So, so I once, I, I was, uh, I, actually I was in Israel and um, I got very sick uh, just for a night. It was really, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the happy part of the story, which is it was before my son's uh, bar mitzvah. And it was like one of these uh, kind of like, I don't know if it was a 24-hour thing or not. All I knew was that I was really sick in bed. And while I was sick in bed just for these uh, few hours, but it was a pretty intense few hours, I, this Torah that I'm about to tell you came to me, okay? But I just want to tell you the end of the story first. And um, some people had come to the hotel to help celebrate, you know, my, my son's bar mitzvah was Friday night. And uh, some friends from the Happy Minion, and they were in the hotel lobby, and I saw them, and I was still pretty sick. And we all kind of—I don't know—they were, you know, so happy to be there, and I was so happy that they were happy, and I was so happy that they were even there. And we kind of made a little bit of a circle. It was only like maybe three or three of us, four of us, maybe. And uh, we just started singing a, a niggin together, and we were kind of like in a circle like that. And at the end of the singing. 
I was 100% fine. It was, I walked into that circle sick, and I left 100% fine. It was really something. It was really something. But um, anyway, while I was uh, in bed and really like, like in bad shape, uh, for some reason I was thinking about this word, Bihibaram. Bihibaram is one of the coolest words in the whole Torah, in my opinion. It's a Pasuk 2-4, like a verse 2, no, chapter 2, verse 4 in, in, in Breshis, in Genesis. It's right after the, the uh, seven days of creation are discussed. It's the very first verse after the discussion of the seven days of creation. And it's the first appearance, that, that verse of the Yudke Vavke, that name of God. So it's, a, it's a, an amazing verse in many, many aspects. But it contains this word, Bihibaram. And um, Bihibaram, the Zohar says, that if you rearrange the letters of Bihibaram, it spells B'Avraham. And that it's actually a reference to Avraham. And in the context of the passage, Basically, it means that God created the world for the sake of Avraham and everything that Avraham represents, right? So we haven't even gotten to the whole account. I mean, we've read one account of Adam and Chava being created, but just very quickly, we haven't even gotten into the whole Garden of Eden story yet with the eating of the Tree of Knowledge and everything like that. And all of a sudden, sort of like stealing Adam's thunder, so to speak, is this sort of like very smeas, encoded, kind of like... uh, you know, reference to Abraham. And by the way, the Medrash says that, that really Abraham should have been the very first person who was created. <coughs> and there's uh, a couple of different explanations why Abraham wasn't the first person created. But in both of the descriptions, it, 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 it basically makes it clear that Abraham was like towered above Adam. So, you know, usually we're used to this uh, kind of like this back and forth, like between, um, you know, Abraham and Noah, you know what I mean? But you don't hear it so much, you know, the battle between Abraham and Adam, right? But apparently there's no question about who wins that one, you know? So it's Abraham. So here you see an actual reference to Abraham before the whole Garden of Eden story. So here was my question while I was lying in bed, like sick like a dog, right? If it's a reference to Abraham, why doesn't it just say Abraham? <laughs> Pretty straightforward question, right? Why does it, what, what is this whole Bihibaram? It's all mixed up. Why? What's the point? So in this state of mind, the, 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 the following came to me which is that, remember, we said that the, so Abraham is the ultimate person because it says basically that the world was created for the sake of Abraham and what he represents, right? Meaning that's for all of us, but that's the model. And what did we say about the Mishkan? That the Mishkan was the model of the perfected individual, right? And then what else did we say about the Mishkan? that it was designed to be taken apart and reassembled. And I thought, oh, wow, you know? That's why it says Bihibaram, because Avraham, who represents the ultimate tzaddik, you have to be able to take yourself apart and reassemble yourself 
at every time in any combination. Right? So that's what it is. What does this situation demand of me? What does that situation demand of me? What is asked, being asked of me right now, today? What is this phone call that I have to make that I don't want to make? Oh my God, I've got to just take myself apart, put myself back together. Right? You know? And that's, that's a, oh my goodness, this is, we're talking about super high levels right now. We're talking about ultimate levels right now. Ultimate levels right now. You know? And, uh, and, but you know something? It's just so good to know that these levels exist. So that we, so that when we kind of think through our lives and we think through our options, we, uh, that we know that such a thing exists. You know what I mean? All right, so maybe it means today asking for help. Oh, that hurts. That hurts. That hurts. But maybe that's what's being asked of me from God, to ask for help. Oh, I don't want to do it. But yeah, maybe that's what it is. You know, Maybe that's, that's my righteous moment right now. You know, Or maybe it's to come through for someone else in a way that's really, oh, I don't want to do that. That's hard for me to do. But you know what? That's what, you know, that's taking yourself apart and putting yourself back together again and going, no, that's what's being asked of me right now. Again, these are very, very high levels. I'm, I, I, you know... I, I say that because sometimes, you know, people go to a talk or a class or something like that, and, you know, they, people talk about things that it's like tying your shoes. It's like, you, you know, I think you're doing a disservice to, your, <laughs> to the people you're learning with by not actually explaining how the level of difficulty involved in the various things. I think that you owe it to, 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 to say that as, as part of the thing. Otherwise, people... You know, they say, well, you know, why can't I do that? Or, or they try to do that, and they're not ready to do that yet. And then they, 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 they damage themselves, you know? So, so, um, so I'm not advocating any actions that a person isn't on the level of, of taking yet. But, but it's important to broaden our, our uh, consciousness to know what actually exists and what we're capable of doing at some point, God willing, in our lives. Um, so, so let me just finish now, and uh, I'll just 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 to review just just some some simple ideas. You 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 have to know the basics, and and I heard from Rabbi Weiss in the name of George Santayana who is a uh, big philosopher in the 20th century, his definition of what a fanatic is, which I thought was very good, which is someone who redoubles his efforts as he forgets what his initial plan was. (laughs) (laughs) So fanaticism is you're like, just like, you know, trying to, Make something with super intense effort as you forget what you were supposed to do to begin with. And, and the, the most sort of like monstrous version of this is in the religious world. Because, because sometimes the particulars are so intense and so exacting and people are hammering at each other and we're hammering at ourselves as we forget 
the, the, the initial premise of, of the goodness of God and that God loves us and that God is with us and that we're partners with God in terms of achieving success. And that, and that we can't fall prey that our learning, God forbid a million times, should actually be undermining our understanding. Right? I'll say that again. Our, our learning can't, God forbid, undermine our understanding. So that's why that, you know, it's like anyone who, like Apple, um, the company Apple, um, is, are the present masters of, of, of this thing that I'm about to tell you. This idea that simple is hard. Simple is hard. And uh, anyone who's tried to, you know, make a business plan or, or, or tell a, a story, you know, or a screenplay or whatever it is, there's so many different moving parts. Bless you. There's so many different moving parts to actually have a command of what the material is so that everything is serving one purpose, right? That's very hard to do. You know, I'll tell you a story. One of my favorite stories, I think I, I heard this in the name of the Brisker Rav. He had a genius for many things, but, 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 but one of his... Uh, levels of genius was that he was able to digest exceedingly complex things and make them very simple. And so he was doing this, I, I believe maybe it was with contracts or, or, or something like this, and he tells his students one, just an, an explanation of something which involved you know, an amazing reconciling of all sorts of different sources and just said it very simply, and the student said to him, that's obvious. And he said back to him, was it obvious before I said it? <laughs> so, so the idea is you should know in your own life that simple is hard. Simple is hard. And, but when you, when, you get, when you get to that point where it's sort of like, all of your energy and everything like that, and you're, you're reconciling the different contradictions in your life, and you're overcoming various obstacles with the right words to yourself. Remember, speaking the right words to yourself, very, very important. Recognizing when you do something right. Taking a moment to appreciate that. Reinforcing the good there. Telling yourself what you just did right. You know? Really, really important. And you know, that's not just me talking. Rabbi Nachman said that, you know, you have to find the good point within yourself. That's, 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 I think, certainly includes what he was talking about. That when you do something right, that you recognize that good point within yourself. Not just, oh, I'm a nice guy, I'm a nice guy, I'm a nice guy, that you walk around telling yourself that. It's got to be more than that, you know? It's really being a little bit more exact and precise. You know, that's great that you made that call for that person. That's great that you gave that... That, that coin to that person. That was really good. You know, and you did it with a smile. You know, I'll tell you something. I, I, I was walking to show yesterday, and really something very simple happened, but I was just, I was so happy for it. And I'll just, just tell you, just this, this thing, just because it made me so happy, but it's very simple, right? But I was walking down the street, and I saw there was a uh, guy, he's a, a Spanish guy, uh, you know, I think he's Mexican or, or from Central America, whatever it is, and he works in one of the shuls here, right? And he was walking, I think, with his wife, and, um, 
you know, and, but I recognized him. I don't go to the shul anymore, but I know his face and he knows my face. And, and I remembered before I saw him, you know, that it says in Pirkei Avos, well, I always try to greet people, but in Pirkei Avos it says that, that, that uh, Shammai, one of the great sages, would, would always be the first to greet someone and even people who weren't Jewish, right? So I actually had that in mind. I had the source in mind. I had Shammai in mind. And as I'm walking toward him, I'm like, before he meets my eye, I'm already going to have my hand raised so that, so that I'm initiating the greeting to him, right? Now, I said, that happened. And, I, and, I, and, I, and he's actually, you know, I can't say I know him very well, but I always have a very positive memory of him. So, you know, I was happy to see him. So I greeted him and I said, I just, you know, he's walking one side of the street. I'm walking in the opposite direction. I said, hi. And he says, good Shabbos. And I, <laughs> and I walk on and I thought, oh, wow, you know, you know, such a simple moment. Like that, that whole thing like, took like probably a second, two seconds maybe to transpire. And I thought to myself, wow, I had the source in mind, Perke Habos. I had the Rav in mind. I did the action. I said hello. And then it hit me. He, he's not Jewish, by the way. I said hello. He said good Shabbos. <laughs> I thought, wow. You know, there was like a revelation of Shabbos, right? Right in the middle of Olympic Boulevard, right at, you know, 8.30 in the morning. From, like, the nations of the world, so to speak. Really, you know? And I, it just... Who knows? Who knows? I, I'm not saying that was such a great act. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? This is... This is the greatness of, of, of being a human being who's conscious. You get to be conscious, and, and every single interaction is another exalted opportunity, right? And, and don't be fooled by this incredibly condescending, cruel reduction of reality, of Western society, which reduces everything to dollars and cents, and that its worth is measured in dollars and cents only. This is, this is literally cruelty. It, it's, it's, it's cruelty, it's falsehood. And don't buy into it. Don't buy into it. Okay, have a great week. Okay, so I just want to add one more thought. This idea of putting yourself back together, what that means exactly. So what, what I'm talking about is just like you're reassembling the Mishkan, a person has to assemble their consciousness, that they have to be a, a, an active participant in how they want to see the world. How do you want to see the world? And, and that's this idea of these foundational thoughts, making sure that you're putting them first and foremost in your mind, in terms of, like Reb Shlomo would say, what kind of, what kind of eyes are you seeing the world with? So it's, it's, it's very, very important that, that a person is... It's very important that a, that a person allows themselves to construct their own reality and is an active participant in constructing their own reality. And that means putting first and foremost the goodness of God, the oneness of God, 
the fact that you're partners with God and God is partners with you in terms of revealing the oneness in this world. And um, so, so I just want to make that clear because, you know, uh, for better or for worse, this idea of taking yourself apart is, uh, can be uh, dangerously vague. <laughs> and so I want to make sh- sure that what we're talking about is, 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 is just very practical and, and, and grounded, that it's just basically um, making sure that, that you're the active um, architect in your own worldview, and that you're not just being reactive to, to various things, and that the glasses that you're seeing the world through is just the culmination of so many different reactions, that there's no unity or conscious thought uh, behind y- your own consciousness, which is basically the, the only thing that you have is your own consciousness. So you have to make sure to be the master of that.